Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. Father, we thank you that you are not a God who is far removed or detached or disinterested. No, you are a God who is intensely personal. And Lord, because you are intensely personal, you speak to your people. And you speak to your people through your word. Father, I pray the word of God would do its work here. It would accomplish its purposes. Father, I pray that I would get out of the way and let the word of God come through for your people. Father, I pray the word will bring encouragement, conviction, redirection as well. We love you. We exalt you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Your church, a few years ago, I was asked to speak at a church in Christchurch, a friend's church in Christchurch for an Easter service. Now, you have to understand, church, this church was super conservative, you know, super old school. They, they recited the scriptures. They prayed the scriptures. They sung the scriptures. Um, in fact, after the sermon, there was actually an open mic where they would literally critique the scriptures and critique the sermon as well, critique the preacher. Many of the women there wore head coverings and everybody dressed super formally. They had no uh, electronic instruments during worship because they believed it was too worldly, that the drummer gave the, gave the devil a foothold in the church. In fact, I was even warned, I was even warned literally that previous guest speakers, they've literally escorted previous guest speakers outside the church because the church believed them to be false teachers. This was the church I was going to speak at. So this was, uh, this was not exactly the ministry of encouragement, but I was, my friend warned me, he said, bro, we don't want to hear your jokes. Okay, we don't want to hear your jokes. We don't want to hear your stories. Okay, we just want to hear the word of God for 50 minutes, okay? We just walk through a passage of scripture for 40 minutes and expound the word of God. Can you do that? I said, of course I can do that. So anyway, I got into my sermon. I rocked up to this church and I was beginning to introduce myself. And church, when you preach somewhere, particularly if it's the first time preaching there, you want to, you know, you, you want to try and build rapport with people, connect with people, try and find some common ground with them. And, and often the best way to do that is to sort of share a little bit about yourself and inject some humor because people buy into you before they buy into the message, all those sort of things you learn at Bible college. And, but literally halfway through my introduction, this old lady shot up and yelled at me, just get on with the word. So I thought, my gosh, they weren't kidding about this place. I thought, I thought to myself, why do I agree to, to, to speak at these places? Why can't a cool church invite me to preach? But anyway, church, I got into my sermon, and the sermon was about how Christ's resurrection is our resurrection. Because Christ was raised in this new glorified body when he was raised, we too will be raised in a new glorified body as well. A body that is no longer subject to disease, sickness, or illness. A body that is no longer subject to decay, decline, or aging. This is the hope that we have in a resurrected Christ. In fact, that's why Paul says in Thessalonians that as believers, we grieve. We will grieve death, but we don't grieve like they do. We don't grieve like those who have no hope do, because our grief is anchored in the gospel. Our grief is anchored in a resurrected Christ. Our grief is anchored in the reality that death does not have the final say. It was a good word, church. I thought it was a good word. So anyway, after the sermon, that same old lady came up to me. She said, Jake, Jake, I'm so thankful for that word. Just this body I have, it's, 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 it's decaying, it's falling apart, it doesn't work anymore. She says, me and my husband, we can't do the same things we used to do together. I said, there's too much information, but thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're edified by the word. And she said, I just can't wait to receive my new glorified body when I die. And I said to her, how old are you? She said, 93. I said, well, the good news is you won't have to wait long. Amen. So <laughs> absent from the body, present with the Lord, I, I said to her. But you know what, church? That same old lady is still with us today. She added me on Facebook. She's leading a small group in Christchurch, leading people to Jesus. That dear old lady had a very real hope and a very real reality that Jesus is resurrection. That not only Jesus brings resurrection, he is resurrection. Church, there is only one name who has conquered the grave. There is only one name who has defeated death. 
There is only one name who can stare death in the face and exclaim, where is your sting? There is only one name who has power over nature. There is only one name that causes demons to tremble. There is only one name that liberates the captive. There is resurrection power in only one name. That dear old lady, church, Jesus wants us to be like that dear lady, to have a hope in resurrection. But family, Jesus wants us to believe him, not just for this future resurrection, not just for this hope of a new glorified body in the, in the future, but he wants us to believe him for resurrection now. He wants us to live in resurrection. He wants us to move in resurrection. We have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is now the same power that resides in you and me. It's the power to live resurrected lives, to move in resurrection power. If you have your Bibles, don't you open them to the Gospel of John chapter 11. <clears throat> the Gospel of John chapter 11. We're going to focus in on the account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, church, it's a long account, so we don't have time to walk through all of it. I don't have 50 minutes, so we're not going to walk through all of it. But we're going to focus on four key touch points. <clears throat> now, out of all the accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead in the Gospel of John, this account is the most dramatic, it's the most profound, and it's the most powerful. And I say that because unlike the other accounts of Jesus raising people from the dead, where Jesus rose, raised them from the dead almost instantaneously, on the spot, immediately after they died, Jesus waits four days to raise Lazarus from the dead. We are told that Jesus loved Lazarus' family very dearly. We are told that he was a dear friend of Jesus. If we are told that he was moved with compassion when Lazarus died. Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. So it begs the question, why did Jesus wait four days to intervene? If we know that Jesus wouldn't even have to make the journey to bring healing, just like he healed the centurion servant, if Jesus just spoke the word, healing would come. So why does Jesus wait four days to intervene? Was Jesus slacking off? Was he unable to intervene sooner? Did Jesus not care for Lazarus as much as we assumed? And the answer, of course, is no. Listen, church, there is purpose and intention behind everything Jesus does. Even when he's being silent, he's still being sovereign. Even when he seems to be unresponsive, he's still behind the scenes being very proactive. Even when you don't feel it, he's working. Even when you don't see it, he's working. There is a message in the waiting. There is the divine in the delay. Our Lord has a message for us in the waiting. Let's lead to our first point. Now, point number one. A miracle delayed is not a miracle denied. In John 11 verses 4 to 6, it reads this. This illness did not, did not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. You know, during this time of Jesus' ministry, there was still much doubt and skepticism about Jesus' miracle-working power. Some people say that Jesus, he didn't actually raise people from the dead. He merely resuscitated people uh, because they, these people weren't really dead. They were unconscious, and Jesus merely woke them up. Some said that Jesus was merely a skilled physician or even a fraud. In fact, some even said of Jesus that Jesus, the, the healings that Jesus performed were merely psychosomatic. In other words, because Jesus was such a, an expert at hyping people up, and because he was such a master of social engineering, Jesus could whip people up so much where they actually believed they were healed when in reality they weren't. It was all in their head. There was still skepticism and suspicion about this miracle-working power of Jesus. There were still doubts about who he claimed to be. You know, church, there are going to be people around you, particularly people who know you well, 
who are going to have the same suspicions about the Jesus you've chosen to follow. There are going to be people who know you, particularly who know you well, who have the same skepticisms and criticisms about your profession to follow this Jesus. Some will say this of you. <clears throat> oh, so she, oh, so she follows Jesus? No, oh, okay. Interesting. You know how she is with her fad, you know? You know she was, it was, first it was the Ponzi schemes. You know, she was a Mormon for five minutes. This Christianity thing is just another flavor of the month for her. It'll pass. Some will say this of you. Oh, really? So the bro's not in the gangs anymore? He's a, he's a Christian now? Oh, true. He's not in the gang life anymore. Okay, that's, that's cool. He's really just left one gang and joined another, the church. You know, he's still, he's, that's really what's happened here. You know, he's still a thug. Still an Angus. Don't worry, he'll slip up soon. Well, he'll slip up soon, don't worry. Oh, so the whole family goes to Elam now. Oh, that's, that's cool. But you know, you know how gullible that family is. They fall for anything. You know, this whole religious thing, it's a money-making scheme. That's why they, when the money runs dry, their faith will run dry as well. Oh, so she's made a commitment to Jesus again for what, the 15th time now? Oh, okay, interesting. She should, really, she should really have a team up here because she's responding to all the articles every week. I can feel a backslide coming. Yeah, don't worry, she'll, she'll backslide again. I can feel it coming. You know, church, if any of that resonated with you at any level, I'm here to encourage you, friend, that Jesus is about to make a statement in your life to glorify himself. He will bring resurrection power to your life as a testimony to those around you. And church, he will do it, not just to prove the doubt is wrong. More importantly, he will do it to point people to the Father in and through your life as a testimony to them. Church, your life was meant to be a testimony. And testimony only happens through resurrection power. Amen? Let's go back to our passage. <clears throat> Jesus waits four days to make a statement, family, that Lazarus is very dead. There'd be no more lingering doubts about his resurrection power. Jesus knew that the longer he waited to heal Lazarus, the more glory the Father would receive. Because when Jesus finally chooses to intervene, it will be an undeniable, indisputable, unequivocal move of God and God alone. Jesus waits for the situation to be its most hopeless and dejected. Four days in, Lazarus' body is already, is already going through the process of decomposition. His body is beginning to, to rot and decay and break down. In fact, the Bible says his body is beginning to even emanate the foul stench of a rotting corpse. Four days in, Lazarus' family and friends are deep in mourning. They are well and truly resigned to the fact that Lazarus is dead and he's not coming back. It is in the midst of overwhelming hopelessness and despair that, Je that Jesus intervenes and steps into the scene. I want to encourage you, friend, that some of you here may be thinking that you've come to the end of yourself, that you've sort of, that you're through a season of hopelessness and that doesn't seem to be able to stop, that the wheels of despair and depression and defeat are well and, well and truly set in motion and cannot be stopped. You might feel like you're at the end of a cliff and there's no going back. I want to encourage you, friend, that it is on the brink where Jesus brings resurrection. It is in the midnight hour where Christ manifests his power. It is in weakness Jesus is truly made strong. Church, what you view as a season of desperation, God views as a season of preparation. What you view as an exercise in hopelessness, God views as an exercise in faith. What you view as a problem, God views as a pathway to a promise. Even when he is silent, he is still being sovereign. Church, you have to understand, God is not at the end of your suffering and pain waiting as a reward when you finally get yourself together. No, God is in the trenches with you, journeying through the valley of the shadow of death with you to journey through that pain and suffering till you get to the end. God is in the process of positioning you for the reception of that miracle. Church, a miracle delayed is not a miracle denied. 
Even when he's being silent, he is still being sovereign. Let's move to our second point, a miracle for this moment. Verse 23 and 26. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I, I know he'll rise again on the last day of the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Church, the resurrection that Martha had in mind was at the end of human history. Your God will usher in a new heavens and a new earth. And every believer will be given at this new resurrected body. Martha's hope was, the hope of her heart, the longing of her heart was, is that at the end of human history, at the eschaton, Lazarus will be raised back to life and she'll see him again. This was the extent of her hope. This is what she could all cling to to help her get through this time. This was the hope of her heart. But Jesus says to Martha, he says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, why do you believe me for this future resurrection when I can bring resurrection now? I'm not asking you to believe me for a miracle in the future when I can produce a miracle in your present. And church, you have to understand, church, that this fundamentally defied her expectations. Again, church, this, this concept of, the, of, of resurrection that Martha had was that at the end time, at the, eschaton, at the eschaton, there'll be a resurrection of the living and the dead. And she believed that because she knew the Old Testament. She knew what I said in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and it reads, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, those to everlasting life, but others to everlasting disgrace and contempt. She knew that there was an Old Testament promise of resurrection, both of the just and the unjust. She believed in this resurrection at the end of the age because this was the ingrained, pervasive Jewish theology of resurrection. She knew that. But church, this idea that God was about to invade her personal space and bring resurrection, not at the eschaton, not at the end times, but bring resurrection now in her present, defied expectation. It contradicted her sensibilities. It was counterintuitive. There was no precedent for this. There was no expectation for this. Just let me remind you, friend, that God is not in the business of meeting your expectations. God is in the business of exceeding and defying them. Some of you may be thinking, Lord, there is no, there is no, <clears throat> some of you may be thinking that God has to sort of align himself with our intuitions to move. No, God does not align himself with our intuition to move. To believe the promises of God is often counterintuitive. To believe that God will supernaturally intervene, violate a natural law to, to change your circumstances is counterintuitive. You might think, God, there is no precedent for this. There is no expectation for this. And God is saying, yeah, that's, that's because behold, I am doing a new thing. I am manifesting my power in a new way. I am setting a new precedent in your life. Amen. In fact, Jesus says to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live, even though they die. Church, note that Jesus does not say, Martha, I will bring resurrection. He does not say that I have brought resurrection. He doesn't even say, Martha, I have the power to raise the dead back to life. No, he says, Martha, I am resurrection. Church, this, this, this transcends categories of past, present, future. Jesus is saying, Martha, because my nature is unchanging, and because my nature is resurrection, resurrection is, something, is not something I do, it's who I am. And because it's who I am, resurrection transcends timelines, rather it's bound up in my person. And because it's bound by my person, because my person never changes, I can bring resurrection now. Do you believe this? Why wait, Martha? Why wait? 
some of us church are like Martha, where we <clears throat> sort of believe God for a we believe God for a move in the future. We have this belief that, that God will perform a miracle move in our life somewhere in the distant future, this sort of abstract, vague sense that he'll move. Some of you even think that, listen, if I, if I get myself together and, and finally sort my life out, then God will move. I've heard encourage your friend that Jesus is saying to you exactly what he said to Martha. Why won't? Why believe him for some distant, far-removed miracle when I can bring resurrection now? Why won't? God wants us to believe him, not just for some resurrection in the future. Rather, he wants us to move in resurrection now. He wants us to live in resurrection now. <clears throat> Let's move to our third point. A miracle from relationship. Verses 42 and 43. Father, I thank you because you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around me, that they may believe that you have sent me. Church, this prayer that Jesus prays, this is not a prayer of petition. This is not a prayer of God, of Jesus pleading with the Father to, to heal, to raise Lazarus from the dead. No, this is a prayer of thanksgiving. This is a prayer of confident expectation that God the Father was about to raise Jesus from the dead. You know, Jesus wasn't praying for victory. He was praying from victory. Church, Jesus, embodied, Jesus models for us deep abiding relationship with the Father. And what flows from this deep relationship is moving in resurrection power. What flows from this relationship is moving in resurrection power. People often ask me the theological question, you know, well, by what power did Jesus perform miracles by? You know, did he perform miracles by virtue of being God because he has these divine attributes? Or did he perform miracles through the power of the Holy Spirit? It's a good question. And the answer is both. Although Jesus was fully God, he never gave up the use of his divine attributes. At the same time, Jesus was fully reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. He was still fully dependent upon his relationship with the Father. And what flowed from this deep relationship was moving in the miraculous. What flowed from this relationship was moving in signs and wonders. Church, I want to encourage you, if you want to move in the miraculous, if you want to live in resurrection power, then we have to cultivate deep abiding relationship with the Father. Church, there is no resurrection without relationship with the one who is resurrection. There are no signs and wonders without a heart that longs to be in relationship with the one of whom the signs and wonders point to. You know, it's um, Church at ELC, I'm, I'm sad Haley isn't here because I did this for her. At ELC, we often, we, we often talk about no be do. This is sort of our, our paradigm. We think we know be do everything. We have to first know who we are in Christ, then be who we are in Christ, and then we will do who we are in Christ. We first must know who we are in Christ. But church, this knowing who we are in Christ, it has, to, it has to transition from an intellectual ascent to a heart conviction. And what cultivates this transition is deep relationship with the Father. And church, when we finally know who we are in Christ, we will then be who we are in Christ. And what flows from being who we are in Christ is we will do what Christ has empowered us to do. Church, if we want to, if we want to move in the miraculous, if we want to move in resurrection life, and it begins when our knowing who we are in Christ moves from here to here. And what cultivates that transition is living, is, is sorry, deep relationship with the Father. Let's move to our last point. A miracle motioned by his word. Go to verse 43 and 44. <clears throat> when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound by linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Church, Jesus stands outside the, tomb, outside the tomb of Lazarus. 
and says, Lazarus, come forth. And immediately Lazarus is raised to life. He's raised from the dead. But church, what, what motioned that miracle? What raised Lazarus back to life? And the answer is it was the word of Christ. For Lazarus, it was the spoken word of Christ. But church, for us, it is the written word of Christ. It is the written word of Christ that motions these miracles. Church, you cannot separate the power of God from the word of God. You cannot separate the sword, which is the word, from the spirit. One preacher said this. He said, the Holy Spirit cannot, cannot work without the word of God, and the word of God cannot operate without the Holy Spirit. One of the things I love doing in ministry is I love praying in tandem with, with Pastor Kalen. And when you pray, Kalen always says that he brings the spirit and I bring the word. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but it's, uh, he goes, he's the spirit, I'm the word. So we, we, we love praying together for people. And I remember we were praying for one dear old lady and she came for, for healing. And as this lady came up towards, I was sort of, I was going for gold. I was sort of declaring and preaching every, every healing scripture I, I knew of this woman. And then Kalen comes along and he just sort of forces his hand on her forehead and goes, loose you in Jesus' name. The woman collapses. She gets back up and she goes, oh, I'm healed. She goes, thank you, Brother Kalen. I said, I said, I prayed for you as well. <laughs> what is I said, next time pray for yourself. Okay, I'm not going to ask me to pray for you. But let me, let me make this clear. Church, you cannot separate the word. Maybe he is the spirit. Maybe I got that wrong. You know, church, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal, which means I believe in the signs and wonders, that, 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 that God still moves in signs and wonders, that God still inspires people to, to, to dream dreams, to prophesy, to pray in tongues. He still heals. He still does all those things. I'm a Pentecostal. But church, I'm also, I also used to be a Baptist. Don't hold that against me, okay? Yes, okay. I said used to be a Baptist, all right? Uh, church, I remember, like, not all, not all my Baptist friends, but some of them, I'd, I'd sit there and have conversations with them, and they'd say, they'd say to me, Jake, Jake, we are people of the Word. We are the Word people. We are the Bereans of the Word of God. We don't buy into all that Holy Spirit hoopla and palaver. We are students of the Word of God. And I think to myself, I said, yeah, that's why there's no power here, because there's no Holy, no Holy Spirit here. But church, guess what? Some of my Pentecostal brothers, they are just as bad in a different way. I talk to some of my Pentecostal brothers and they say, Jake, we are the people. We are Holy Spirit people. We are the people. We are the signs and wonders people. We are the miracle working people. We're not sort of bound by sort of legalistic Bible college students and, and, and doctrine and theology. So we go with the Spirit. We are moved and led by the Spirit. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's why you do so many silly things in ministry because there's no word here. Just I want to encourage you. We have to bring the word and the Spirit together. Somebody once said, if you, have, if you have the word without the spirit, you will dry up. If you have the spirit without the word, you will blow up. But if you have the word and the spirit together, you will grow up. Church, if you want to move in the miraculous, if you want to live in resurrection power, we have to be people who marry the spirit and the word of God together. If you want to be led by the spirit, you must be anchored by the word of God. It was, the word, it was the spoken word of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that raised Lazarus back to life. In the same way, it is the, it is the written word of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that will motion a miracle in your life as well. Amen? If I go to, if I go to the, the band, join me on stage, please. <clears throat> I want to close with this. <clears throat> now, church, many of you know, this is, um, or mo- some of you know who are, most of you know who are very close to me, uh, my beautiful girlfriend, uh, Tumby, who in, is in Wellington, she's part of Elam International, and where she's the, where she's the <clears throat> children's pastor, as well as the youth leader, as well as the singer-songwriter, 
H&M model. She, is, she does all those things. And she's from a place called um, Northeast India, a place called Nagaland in India. And on a serious note, a few weeks back, her mother was stricken with COVID-19. And if you know anything about the COVID situation in, in India, you know it's very dire. It's very sad. Upwards of 350,000 people <clears throat> have died from COVID and counting. Uh, the demands for oxygen tanks far exceed the supply. And the problem is compounded by a, a stubborn Indian prime minister who won't accept foreign aid for additional oxygen tanks. <clears throat> the hospitals are already, were already overrun and essentially a death sentence because even if you do find a room in the hospital, there's still, there is insufficient oxygen tanks to support those who become in critical condition due to COVID. Uh, Tumbi's, mother, uh, Tumbi's mother's condition worsened day by day until her condition became critical. Um, <clears throat> in India, church, they only, they only give you oxygen, so they only, sorry, allow you in hospital if your oxygen levels reach under 95. Uh, her mother's was 91. Her situation was looking very dire. In fact, it got to the point where Tumbi would avoid updates on her phone in fear of hearing the news that her mother had passed away. But Tumbi told me she actually reached a breaking point where she actually made a conscious decision that she wasn't going to be consumed by fear, but rather stirred by faith. Tumbi made a decision that she, now first and foremost, we praise God that, that her beautiful mother knows Jesus. So we know where she'd go and if she did die. But Tumbi made a decision that her hope wasn't going to be grounded in where she knew she would go, but rather her hope would be grounded in the God who could bring hope now. Even though it was counterintuitive, even though it defied the odds, the statistics, even though the, the situation was seemingly completely hopeless, and even though her mother was on the brink of death, she chose to step out in faith and believe the promises of God for healing. She chose to believe that God is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And church, in the midnight hour, in the midst of hopelessness and despair, with a house being in a critical state, with death on the horizon, in that moment, Jesus stepped into the scene and intervened. And he did what only he could do. He made a way where only he could make a way and heal Tumbi's dear mother. Praise God. Your church, just like Tumbi, God wants us, God wants to remind you that he has a miracle for you in this moment. That he wants to bring resurrection for you, not in the future, not at the eschaton, not at the end of the age, but he wants you to bring, he wants to bring resurrection now. I would encourage you, friend, to trust God in the wait. Remember, he is sovereign even in the silence. Press into the promises of God that he is the bringer of resurrection now. Cultivate deep relationship with the Father. Be led by the Spirit, anchored by the Word of God, and see what God will do. He will motion a miracle in your life for this moment. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God of the moment, that you're a God that we have a hope in, but also we can have confidence and assurance that you'll come through for us in our present as well. Father, we thank you that you are the way maker. You are God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. You are God who steps into the scene in the midst of our hopelessness, depression, and despair and makes a way where there seems to be no way. Father, we love you. We exalt you. Praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.